children this, but <coughs> they picked some songs that really went well with this message. So uh, that was a good, that was a God thing. So um, we're in a series called uh, That We May Know Him, The Perfections of God. We're looking at God's attributes, His perfections. And uh, I just am um, privileged to be here with you. I get to share here occasionally, and it's always a great joy uh, to join you all. So I'd like to begin with a story from Alexander Solzhenitsyn. Alexander was a uh, Russian dissident under communism. Uh, he spent time in the gulag and the prisons for his faith. He was kicked out of the country and didn't even have citizenship for a season. And just before perestroika, I think it was in 91, he went back and lived to be 90 years old. But he wrote this uh, sometime back, and I, I copied this in 1986, but the the quote is really powerful. When I started going to school in Rostov-on-Don, other children egged on by Komsomol members taunted me for accompanying my mother to the last remaining church in town. The last remaining church in town. And tore the cross from around my neck. A few years later, I heard a number of older people offer this explanation for the great disasters that had befallen Russia. Men have forgotten God. That's why all of this has happened. Since then, I've spent well nigh 50 years working on the history of the Russian Revolution. In the process, I have collected hundreds of personal testimonies, read hundreds of books, and contributed eight volumes of my own. But if I are asked today to formulate concisely as possible the main cause of the ruinous revolution that swallowed up some 60 million of uh, our people, I could not put it more accurately than to repeat, men had forgotten God. Kind of sounds like today, doesn't it? What's more, if I were called upon to identify the principal trait of the entire 20th century, I would be unable to find anything more precise than to reflect once again on how we have lost touch with our Creator. The failings of human consciousness deprived of its divine dimension have been a determining factor in all the major crimes of this century. And I would say that in America, we have, for the most part, forgotten God. And unfortunately, and I, I work with lots of churches, oftentimes they have forgotten why they exist. And uh, it's, it's a sad thing. So what we want to do is we want to know Him. And we want to know the perfections of God. We want to understand who God is, and in our infinite, no, our non-infinite minds, we want to try and understand the infinite unknowable. And all of these perfections in God are just absolutely perfect. And we can taste them and we can get a glimpse of them, but we cannot fully grasp them. But by His grace, we can understand them somewhat. And today, we're privileged uh, to, to talk about holiness. Philippians chapter uh, 3 verse 10 says that I may know him and the power of his resurrection. And most of us want to put a period in the sentence right there. We want to know the power of his resurrection. That sounds great. But Paul goes on, and the fellowship of his sufferings. Uh, we're not so keen on that. Uh, being conformed to his death. Well, we can leave that uh, at the table. But you know, Jesus said, whoever loses his life, finds it, and whoever tries to hang on to his life loses it. And so as we surrender ourselves to the Lord, 
we're going to be set free to be what he wants us to be. So as we, uh, as we think back, uh, Dan mentioned already, but uh, Pat Brady talked about the goodness of God, and the goodness of God should lead us to worship and thanksgiving. God is good, and we ought to thank him for that. And then Dan talked about that God was righteous and just, and that leads us to faith. We need Christ. We need the Lord Jesus. And uh, God's righteousness provides that, but it also reminds us that he is righteous, and without Christ we have no hope. And then we saw grace and mercy uh, last week, and uh, I've listened intently to all of these messages. And uh, Stephen mentioned last week that he talked about mercy. Mercy is when we, we don't get what we do deserve. And grace is what happens when we get what we don't deserve. We get heaven. And we don't get hell. I mean, that's a great, that's a great deal. At least I think so. So uh, today we have the privilege of looking at the, the holiness of God. We get to draw near to God. And one of the things we're going to see today is that... Um, the call to holiness is a call to worshipful surrender so that we may accomplish our mission. We may accomplish his mission. America is forgetting God, and God has called us to remind them that he is. He exists, and he's returning. And so we have the privilege of introducing people to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. That's our primary mission as a church. And uh, even as believers, that's what we are called to do. So today we're going to look at the meaning of holiness. Secondly, we're going to see how God is holy. And third, we want to see what impact holiness should have on us. And all three of these things just kind of fit together. So what does holiness mean? How is God holy? What difference does that make? And then what difference does holiness make to us as believers in the Lord Jesus Christ? So... Uh, Today, let's look at, uh, first off, what it means to be holy, the meaning of the word holy. The primary thought of holiness, it basically means uh, to be separate. And if you think about separation, it's separation from and separation to. In God's case, he's separate from sin, and he is separated to his perfections. In Romans 3.23, for we have all sinned and fallen short of the Oh, thank you. Some of you are still awake. I'll tell you what, it's a tough thing to follow his little feet. <laughs> they're, they're tremendous. So we fall short of the glory of God, and the glory is a summation of all of his perfections in their infinite beauty, in their infinite completion. And we fall short. We don't even come close. So... Um, the, the, the meaning of the word holiness is basically separation. And for God, it's separation from sin and it's separation unto his perfections. And uh, as we look at uh, the meaning of the word holy, uh, there's two primary words in the scripture. Old Testament, kadosh, Hebrew word, and it means separation. And it occurs 682 times in the Old Testament in all different kinds of variations. It can refer to the tabernacle and so forth. Uh, it can re refer to the holy articles in the tabernacle. It can refer to people. It refers to uh, Nazarites who are set apart to holiness. And um, 
then hagios is the New Testament word, and it occurs a lot of different ways. 233 times, so if you put that all together, holiness is referred to in the scriptures 915 times. That's a fair amount. That's a fair amount. And uh, so it's a, you know, when it occurs a lot, it should be kind of important. Do you agree? Yeah, thank you. Thank you, brother. There is one person who agrees. That is unusual. Usually nobody agrees with me. <laughs> so let's look at some passages. Uh, to ho be holy is to be separated. Exodus 31, 14. You shall keep the Sabbath, therefore, for it is holy to you. It didn't say it was holy to God. It was holy to you. Uh, Everyone who profanes it shall surely be put to death, for whoever does any work on it, that person shall be cut off from among his people. So the Sabbath was made for the Israelites, for the Jewish nation. And it was to be holy. It was to be a day of separation, different from all the rest of the days. Different from all the rest of the days. And then to be holy is, uh, uh, is a word that's referred to the garments that Aaron and his descendants wore. When Israel came out of the promised land, I mean, out of Egypt, they built the tabernacle and they made Aaron's garments and, and the garments for the Levites. But Aaron's garments for, were for him and his family only. They were holy garments. They were set apart for Aaron and his sons unto perpetuity. And then, uh, to be holy is to be separated again, Joshua 6, 19. But all the silver and the gold... And the vessels of bronze and iron are consecrated or holy to the Lord, and they shall come into the treasury of the Lord. So when the children of Israel took the promised land, they were not to hoard gold, silver, or iron, or bronze. They were to be brought into the temple of the Lord. They were set apart. I'm not exactly sure why that was, but they were to be set apart. And then this next passage in Hosea uh, chapter 4 is a rather uh, interesting one, and I hesitated to even bring it up, but this is the clearest example of what it means to be separate. And I'm going to begin reading on the screen. It starts in verse 13. I'm going to begin reading in verse 12. My people ask counsel from their wooden idols, and, from, and their staff informs them, for the spirit of harlotry has caused them to stray, and they have played the harlot against their God, they offer sacrifices on the mountaintops and burn incense on the hills under oaks, poplars, and terebinth because their shade is good. So they would, they would set up a shrine every place there was a good piece of shade so that as they were walking along, they said, well, let's stop and worship here. And where God had said, I'm going to set the place where you should come to worship. And uh, so they built all of these things. And in Israel's economy, whenever you were involved in idolatry, those people were called adulterers. Anytime we put something in place of God, he refers to that as adultery. And then in verse 13, he says, uh, or verse uh, 13, they offer sacrifices on the mountaintops, burn incense on the hills. And in verse 14, I will not punish your daughters when they commit harlotry, nor your brides when they commit adultery. For the men themselves go apart with harlots and offer sacrifices with a ritual harlot, Therefore, people do not understand. Uh, people who do not understand will be trampled. So the word for uh, ritual harlot is the word kadosh, holy. And it simply means that those individuals in those pagan temples were dedicated to being harlots. They were set apart to being harlots. Does that have anything to do with moral purity? I don't think so. I don't think so at all. So... The point is, 
To be holy means that you're set apart. It doesn't necessarily mean purity, although purity can flow from holiness, but it means people are set apart to something. So the point is, to be holy means to be set apart. Now let's, uh, let's look on at God's holiness. Let's see how, uh, how God fits in this whole equation. And we're going to look at two passages. Both of them use the tripart, holy, holy, holy. Both of them. And uh, the only places in Scripture. And the first one is Isaiah 6, and the sec- second one is in uh, Revelation chapter 4. In the king- year that King Uzziah died, and Isaiah ministered uh, amongst, uh, in, during the reigns of four kings, Uzziah was the first, so he was probably a young man. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne, high and lifted up. And the train of his robe filled the temple. When you think of a bridal train, well, God's train filled the temple. And above it stood seraphim. Each one had six wings. With two he covered his face, with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one cried to another and said, read that, read that, the rest of that verse with me. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. So holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. And the posts of the doors were shaken by the voice of him who cried out. Then the house was filled with smoke. And, and as I look at that, I'm thinking, the holiness of God shook the heavens. The holiness of God shook the, the abode of God. People were moved by the holiness of God. The temple was moved. And then notice how it impacted Isaiah. So Isaiah said, Woe is me, for I am undone, because I'm a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips, for my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Isaiah saw God in his holiness, and he immediately recognized his moral filth. Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a live coal, which he had taken with tongs from the altar. I had never thought about it before, but even the seraphim didn't pick up the, the coal by hand. He used tongs, and he came and put it on Isaiah's mouth. He touched my mouth with it and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your iniquity is taken away, and your sin is purged. My friends, that's what happens when we come to Christ. He takes away our sin. He purges our iniquity. He says that he casts our sin into the depths of the sea and he remembers them no more. Hallelujah, what a Savior. And then I heard a voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? And I said, Here am I. Send me. And we're going to see this theme repeated. So the call to holiness is a call to worshipful surrender. Worshipful surrender so that we may accomplish our mission, his mission. So Isaiah said, here am I, send me. And then we're going to look at Revelation chapter 4. Similar scene, but New Testament versus Old Testament. The four living creatures, each having six wings, were full of eyes around and within. And they do not rest day or night, saying, let's read it again together, Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. 
And whenever the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him who sits on the throne, who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down before him who sits on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever and cast their crowns before the throne saying, you are worthy, O Lord, you are worthy to receive glory and honor and power for you created all things and by your will they exist and were created. We are made for relationship with the Lord. And as we are involved with him and we recognize his holiness, we ought to do the same thing. We ought to worshipfully surrender and say, oh, Lord, you're the God of creation. You're my God, and you're worthy of all of my worship, all of my respect, all that I have to give to you. You're worthy. And in this case, heaven was moved. All the elders were moved. Heaven was rejoicing. I don't know what heaven's going to be like. Uh, one of my cousins who's a believer had his memorial service yesterday, and I watched it online from... Uh, he was, it was out in Nebraska. But he's a believer, and I can't understand, I can't imagine what he's experiencing today in the presence of his Savior. Holy, 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 the Lord God Almighty. Uh, we're going to see some of that. Well, now, how does, how does holiness impact us? God is holy. He's totally set apart from sin. He's totally set apart to his absolute perfection, his righteousness, his holiness, his love, his grace, his mercy, his uh, omnipotence, omniscience, om, um, omnipresence, and all the rest of them. He's totally set apart. So uh, we need to encounter God in his holiness. Here are some examples. Uh, Moses and the burning bush, Exodus chapter 3. You know, Moses uh, was going to lead the children of Israel out when he was 40. He killed an Egyptian. He was ready to lead them out. wasn't God's timing. Uh, he was 40 years early. So he, he left, he fled Egypt and spent 40 years tending sheep. And after 40 years, when he was 80, he was finally to the point where God could use him. At 80. So he's out and he sees this bush burning, you know, and he said, oh, I'm going to turn aside to see this site. There wasn't a whole lot that went along out there in the wilderness. You know, there was, this was an unusual thing. So while he was there, uh, the, uh, the Lord began to deal with him. So Exodus 3, 4. So when the Lord saw that he turned aside to look, God called to him from the midst of the bush and said, Moses, Moses. He said, here I am, here I am. <laughs> then he said, do not draw near to this place. Take your sandals off your feet. For the place where you stand is holy ground. And, mo and moreover, he said, I am the Lord God of your father, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And Moses hid his face and was afraid to look upon God. So what was it that made that patch of ground out in the desert holy? That, that Yeah, who said that? Way to go, Karis. Karis is the same name as my granddaughter's name, Karis means grace. That's good. So that patch of ground was holy because God was there. And before Moses could undertake leading the children of Israel out of, the out of Egypt to the promised land, he had to come face to face with the holiness of God. My friends, we're going to see that refrain over and over this morning. Over and over this morning. 
So uh, the call to holiness is a call to worshipful surrender. Well, then we see Joshua at Jericho. Joshua fit the battle of Jericho, Jericho. That's wrong. That's a lie. Joshua didn't fit the battle. Joshua was kind of perplexed. If you look at the next slide, there's a picture of uh, Jericho as it looks today. And uh, Jericho as it looks today, just a pile of rubble. But Joshua, when he came there, uh, this is a, uh, an archaeologist's rendition of what the, f the fortifications around Jericho would have looked like. Just imagine, th those little things down there, those are people. So the first wall was 12 to 15 feet high, the next wall 6 feet thick, 12 to 26 feet high, and then 46 feet above the base of the first wall is another rampart. Uh, that's what surrounded Jericho. And I'm sure Joshua was thinking, oh, well, you know, the river's behind us, it's at flood stage. We really want to go forward and take the promised land, but here is Jericho standing square in the way. And uh, Joshua 5.13, it came to pass when Joshua was by Jericho that he lifted his eyes and looked. And behold, a man stood opposite him with a sword drawn in his hand. And Joshua went to him and said to him, Are you for us or for our adversaries? That's a good question to ask. Because this guy had a sword in his hand. Joshua, by the way, did not unsheath his sword. Are you for us or for our adversaries? So he said, No. Now think about that. Are you for us or for our adversaries? You can say that with me. No. He didn't answer the question. But then he said, But as commander of the army of the Lord, I have now come. And Joshua fell on his face to the earth and worshiped and said to him, What does my Lord say to his servant? Then the commander of the Lord's army said to Joshua, Take your sandal off your foot, for the place where you stand is holy. And Joshua did so. What made that piece of ground special? God, yeah, because the Lord was there. The Lord Jesus was there with, uh, with Joshua. And the point is, Joshua could not lead the children of Israel into the promised land victoriously until he himself personally encountered the holiness of God. Because the battle was not his. In heavenly armor we enter the land. The battle belongs to the Lord. And I, don't, I can't tell you how many times I forget that and how many times I have to come back almost to this same place and say, you know, Lord, this is not my ministry. This is yours. These are not my people. They're yours. This is not my church. This is your church. There needs to be a sense of the holiness of God, that he is wholly apart from sin and wholly apart to himself. And we come face to face with him. Moses had to do that before he could lead them out. Joshua had to do that before he could lead them in. Well, let's look on. Isaiah. We've already read the passage in Isaiah chapter 6. But before Isaiah could become the prophet that God wanted him to be, he had to experience the holiness of God. And in the Old Testament, if you saw the Lord, you were in deep trouble. And... Uh, he saw the Lord high and lifted up. And the train of his robe filled the temple. And the seraphim were crying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. 
And, and Isaiah said, woe is me, I'm undone. God's perfection reminded him of his absolute imperfection. And before Isaiah could become the prophet God intended him to be, he had to experience firsthand the holiness of God. Let's move on. Peter. <laughs> Good old Peter. I can identify greatly with Peter. Uh, I really identify with Peter because I, I really appreciate the taste of shoe leather. Uh, I often speak, my, drives my wife nuts, drives Beth nuts because I, I verbally process things. I think out loud, and she said, just give me the bottom line, you know. Well, Peter was always just verbally processing. So <coughs> Peter had fished all night with his partners. They caught nothing. And then after the uh, fishing trip was over, they returned, uh, and they were cleaning their nets. And Jesus happened to come by and was teaching. Then he put, got in the boat and put out from the sea, out into the sea, and he taught there, and he said, all right, go out and put your nets out in the deep water. No, we fished all night. We didn't catch anything. But it's your word. We'll go do it. And they caught so many fish that they were filling the boats, and the boats were beginning to, to sink. There were so many fish. They had never had a catch like this. They called their partners. Their boat was beginning to sink. Uh, verse 8, when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me, for I'm a sinful man, O Lord. Jesus encountered a holy God. And let's look on. The church at his birthday, uh, they were concerned, Lord, is it this time you're going to restore the kingdom to Israel? And Jesus said, it's not for you to know the times or the seasons which the Father fixed by his own authority, but you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost part of the earth. But you need to wait in Jerusalem until you get the promise of what? The Holy Spirit. Before the church could take on the mission that God had given them, they had to be endued with power from the Holy One, the Holy Spirit. They had to encounter. So remember, the call to holiness is to worship, is worshipful surrender so that we may accomplish the, the mission, His mission, our mission, however, how those two intersect with one another. The Apostle Paul on the road to Damascus he was on the way. He was going to imprison people. He was going to drag believers into uh, the courts and into jail. He was going to take them back to Jerusalem. He had murderous intent on his heart and on the road. He met Jesus Christ. And he said, uh, who are you, Lord? And he said, I'm Jesus whom you're persecuting. Well, he was persecuting the church. The church is the body of Christ. Persecution of the body of Christ is the same as persecuting its head, Jesus Christ. And Paul had to encounter the holiness of God before he could become what he wanted to be. Think about it. Moses, holiness. Joshua, holiness. Isaiah, holiness. Peter, holiness. The early church, holiness. The, uh, the apostle Paul, Saul then of Tarsus, had to encounter the holy God before he could become the man that God wanted him to be. Now what about you? What about you? I, uh, I want to show you a slide uh, that <coughs> we took not too long ago. This is Lethe. Our grandsons, well, our whole family was here. Most of our family was here this summer to celebrate our 50th anniversary. We had a great time. 
our kids from Canada couldn't get here because Canada's closed, still closed. But all the rest of our family was here. And my favorite granddaughter, or my only granddaughter, uh, found this uh, praying mantis in the garage, and it was dragging, a, it was kind of limping along, dragging a spider's web behind it. But there was no spider. And there's a reason for that, because the spider was probably inside leafing. At any rate, uh, she's real compassionate and tender-hearted, so she took the praying mantis and took it around to the from the east side of the house to the west side of the house and put it in our garden. And we started reading up on praying mantis, and uh, they uh, they hatch in the spring, uh, they find a partner in the spring, and then the, the 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 wife eats the husband in the partnership, and then she's off and she lays eggs all summer long, and uh, then in the fall, uh, when the first freeze comes, they die. So I saw Leafy on, on the after on the morning of the day before that first big snow, and this is where I saw her. She was she was laying in in the rocks in her garden, and she was dead. And I'd seen her earlier that morning, and she was pretty plump, but when I saw her this time, she was really skinny, and she had been around the siding on the house, and I think she was probably laying her last clutch of eggs before her life ended. And, and she expired. But you know what? That's what she was made to do. She was made to, to hatch, to mate, to lay babies, and to, to eat bugs. And, and I'll tell you, in our garden, we didn't have nearly as many crickets as we'd had before. Uh, especially around where she was, there were fewer crickets. You just didn't hear them chirping much. Uh, and, uh, and then she died. Well, you know what? God has made us. He has created us. And Ephesians 2.10 says, uh, For we are his workmanship in, in Christ Jesus, created unto good works, which God ordained beforehand that we should walk in them. Every one of us were uniquely made. None of us the same. None of us have the same gifting. I was an engineer for a season, but God wanted me to be a pastor. So I, I made that change. But whatever you are, you can be a nurse, you can be a doctor, you can be a bricklayer, you can be a ditch digger, you can be a farmer, you can do whatever. You can milk cows until, or you can milk until the cows come home. And then you really get busy. But um, whatever it is, God has made us for purpose. And that purpose includes bringing people to him. In our nation, people have forgotten God. But part of our responsibility is to let people know that God has visited this planet. His name is Jesus Christ. So whatever work we do, God has called us to be his disciples. And remember that the call to holiness is the call to worshipful surrender so that we may accomplish our mission. I remember... I look, as I look back at my life, there's times that I've really been angry and frustrated and upset. And this has been one of those seasons, just because of the situation in which we live. But I have to sit and ask myself, why is it that you're so upset? Often it's because I expect God to do what I want him to do. But God didn't call me so that I could do what I wanted him to do, so he could do what I wanted him to do. He called me so that I could do what he wants to do. And when I get frustrated, I just have to say, you know, Lord, uh, I'm sorry. I've been trying to squeeze God into my box, but, you know, God doesn't fit in any box. He's holy, holy, holy. 
the summation of all of his perfections. He doesn't fit in anybody's box, but he calls us to follow him. So a couple of weeks ago, I, w- I was dealing with some of that frustration. And in my office, I just slipped off my shoes. And I worshipfully surrendered once again to God's lordship in my life. And I don't know what God wants to do in your life, but he wants to use you for not just temporal purposes, but for eternal purposes. And in order for that to happen, we need to surrender worshipfully to our great God and King, Jesus Christ. And he will use us. And he will use us. Um, when Paul was at the end of his life, he, he wrote this in Second Timothy. For I'm already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure is at hand. I have fought the good fight, I have finished the race, I have kept the faith. Finally, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give me on that day, and not to me only, but to all who have loved his appearing. My friends, Leafy fulfilled her purpose. We can only fulfill our purpose when we worshipfully surrender to the holy, holy, holy God. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for your work in our hearts and lives. And I pray that your word would just impact us, Father. Uh, May we be set apart to you and to your purposes. And Lord, uh, may your, the full spectrum of your riches be seen in us. And may the world take note that you have been here with us and we are your people. And may we lead many, many into a relationship with our great God and King, Jesus Christ. We pray in his name. Amen.